0: Today on Podcast by the Bay, we're bringing you perspective on the current real estate market here on the peninsula with a discussion with longtime realtor Robert Pedro and also our very own Patrick Sullivan.
1: You, you hit on a good point there, and we are building an awful lot of rentals right now. I mean, most of the things that we're seeing being built are large apartment complexes, which there's a need for those, and those should be built. However, uh, we should be also looking at our balance of ownership housing, I I am a firm believer in providing, you know, uh, affordable ownership housing, and so I think something should really be l- uh, looked at uh, to see what could be done
0: to discuss many of the issues affecting the buyers,
1: but also the sellers, like the capital gains tax. So I really think it would be great if our elected officials would really look into the capital gains challenges that people are having, and to see what the net effect is, because I would wonder if they relieved that capital gains burden. Now you have a transaction. When the transaction takes place, you're going to have an increase in property tax revenue. You've got the one-time county transfer tax of $1. ten per thousand. There's a lot of revenue generated by a real estate transaction for the government.
0: All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading this episode. And we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends out there in podcast land. We definitely appreciate it. And so today we're going to feature perspective on the current real estate market here on the peninsula. And we're going to feature a discussion between longtime realtors, Robert Pedro and Patrick Sullivan. And it discussed many of the issues that are affecting the real estate market and some of the current hot topics such as rent control. And also one of the other topics that hasn't really been discussed, which is the capital gain tax. So stay tuned. We're looking forward to bringing you this discussion about the current real estate market here on the peninsula. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. on twitter at podcast by the bay is our handle and you can listen to any of our shows for free 24 hours a day on any of the podcast sites so with that signing off this is andre and we'll catch you on the next time of podcast by the bay stay tuned
2: welcome to podcast by the bay today is friday and it's november 15th and i have a great opportunity to uh, interview a longtime realtor and friend, Robert Pedro, who owns Signature Properties uh, here in uh, Foster City. He also has another pilot office in Redwood City. Welcome, Robert, to Podcast by the Bay.
1: Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate, appreciate you coming here and uh, interviewing me. It's always nice to see you.
2: It's good to see you too, Robert. Yeah. Can you give us a little background and what made your decision to get into real estate?
1: Sure, sure. I'd say it had a lot to do with my, uh, my family, actually. My parents... Uh, both worked really hard uh, day jobs and then they invested in real estate and so as a young uh, kid growing up I I saw the the value of having kind of that third income uh, that real estate income coming in over time and it's definitely helped out our family over the years Um, right out of high school I knew I wanted to get into real estate so I started shadowing a broker uh, back in 1988 and then in 1994 I uh, got my broker's license, and so I've been a full-time broker since 1994, and just loving every minute of it, and I'm very passionate about real estate, so it's, it's fun for me Rock, to do. where are you from
2: originally? Just uh, Redwood City. So Redwood I was born City, in, okay, yeah. so you're a native too. Um, I, you know, I actually got my uh, broker's license in 1986, so we got a little a couple years difference, but we've, we've seen the ups and downs in real estate. We saw the stock market crash. We saw the earthquake. So we've seen a lot of ups and we've seen interest rates, double digit, single digit. Uh, so we've seen a lot. Definitely. Um, so we've got a dynamic real estate market right now. What's your observation on the real estate market? I think the uh, the focus for first-time buyers, it seems to be a little bit of a challenge out there. Why don't you talk about what your experiences.
1: Sure, sure. So what I see them, as far as where the market is today, uh, I would say it's stabilizing, right? So it's... Uh, basic economics, supply and demand Uh, and there's also the market will always seek equilibrium which means one unit for sale one buyer so in our in our situation we're talking housing it would be one home one buyer and what we're going through uh, in previous years the recent past uh, would be one home 20 buyers and obviously what the what the market does the laws of economics would say well the price is going to increase until there is one home and one buyer and so i think that we're nearing that equilibrium point because prices have gone up so much where we're going to see one listing and one buyer what does that translate to uh i would say right off the bat uh, extended days on market Uh, we've been in this two-day seven-day ten-day market for quite some time and we forget that the definition of a good market is 90 days or less. And so I think it'll be a shift. Something for sellers to consider would be that, hey, if you're on for 30 or 60 days, as long as the market is in a stable environment and not decreasing, that's not necessarily a bad thing.
2: Well, Robert, I want to, want to say that your observation is pretty astute. I'm experiencing the same thing. As you know, I'm in real estate just like you full-time, and this podcast is kind of a side thing, and I'm enjoying it. Um, one of the things that we're noticing out on the market is exactly what you're just saying. Um, but on the same context, we're, we don't have enough housing. Um, we've got a governor that says we need 3.5 million housing um, and as you know we've interviewed a lot of different legislators and people, we don't know how much workforce housing, senior housing, first-time home buyer housing, and I guess everybody's talking we need a shotgun approach, we need it all. And I, and we probably do need it all. What, in your opinion, um, we're noticing on the peninsula in San Mateo and Santa Clara County that the majority of the people, the builders, are building rentals. Um, they're not building property Purchase and you know, we've got a lot of these uh, uh, new people, young people, that would love wow. to have a house. So, what's your take on it? Yes,
1: yeah, so I, I think we've actually made some steps in the right direction in a lot of areas. Like, if we're using Redwood City or Foster City or almost any city on the peninsula, uh, they've done some nice things to create additional units, uh, either by in Redwood City's case, higher density in the downtown corridor. Uh, they've been able to build well over uh, 2,500 units in the downtown corridor within the last four or five years. Also, from the state state regulation standpoint, uh, we've seen the uh, loosening of guidelines and regulations on accessory dwelling units, which accessory dwelling units can be used for so many things. Affordable housing being one of them. Also, uh, family units. Uh, living on the same property where one lives in the main home and one lives in the adu aka the the in-law unit <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it I think that helps families afford to stay in the Bay Area. One of the other things that I think is a major uh, component that needs to be addressed uh, would be transportation. I think right now we're suffering from a lack of uh, appropriate and timely public transportation. If there were an uh, efficient public transportation system, mainly an east-west commute, kind of mid-peninsula, I use the 92 corridor as an example, the San Mateo Bridge is clogged. If someone, if someone lives in uh, Pleasanton or Castro Valley or Hayward and they work in San Mateo or Redwood City, there, are really, there really aren't any options for them without three or four transfers if they wanted to take public transportation.
2: Robert, you bring up a really good point. A lot of times we I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of politicians, <coughs> assemblymen, and congresspeople, and senators, and they all speak to the same thing. But the one question that I bring forward to them is, we don't have a transit district out here. Basically, the only thing that we've got close to uh, intertwining is a clipper card. So. Do you think that there's a possibility that maybe a regional transportation where Sam Trams, BART, Trains, and they would all work together to have a much more integrated system?
1: That would be brilliant. I think an integrated system with one form of payment that could be easily used uh, by the people who are using that product. Also, any kind of public-private partnership I think would be phenomenal. I think we have some major employers in the area that would jump at the opportunity uh, to be involved in the future of transportation in our region uh, to help move their employees from one area to another. Um, It's been said by a few that we can't really build our way out of this on the Mid-Peninsula just because the density would be too high uh, for what most people would consider a quality of life that they want to enjoy in the suburbs. Uh, Many of our cities are obviously suburbs in the Mid-Peninsula and we're seeing the urbanization of our suburbs and obviously many people have a a, a serious problem with that and rightly so. So having transportation going out to where the housing could be located I think is key and and crucial uh, for the Bay Area moving forward for the next 10, 20, 50 years.
2: Well Robert, you know we would encourage you to listen to one of our podcasts. We interviewed a former council person that has left the Bay Area and that's David Tanner. Uh, David Tanner has an I proposed idea or that um, at the Tanfran shopping Center they were talking about leveling it and I think there's an Australian group that owns it um, and what he was thinking is like a super bullet train we do have a clip of a video he did present it to the Bay, uh, Bay Area cities I don't know if it really Grasp a hold of anything, and it would be above ground. It would go to all those surrounding cities that you're talking about, whether it's Stockton, Fresno, Martinez. Do you think that that's something that uh, should be looked at?
1: Oh, definitely. I think I think there are so many different solutions, and you mentioned earlier kind of a shotgun approach because there's not one silver bullet. Uh, so a shotgun approach would probably be the best way to do it, and I think we shouldn't leave any stone unturned. We should look at any any idea and see how that would play out and tie into existing transportation systems.
2: So our audience understands Robert is also a member of National Association of Realtors and the California Association of Realtors and 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 you have a GRI and a a few other designations. I myself am also a member of California Association of Realtors and National and we're passionate about housing. Uh, That's why we're talking here today from one professional to another professional on how we can collectively come with solutions um, one of the big things that happened, uh, Robert, um, and it, it was sidetracked, there was a proposal by Senator Weiner, And that was that uh, his uh, State Senate Bill 60, which was kind of put on ice. And basically that was the carrot-stick approach. And basically Senator Weiner wanted to dictate to the cities that you had to build so much affordable housing. That's on ice right now. Um, and there's many reasons why... We as realtors or we as the public should be concerned about passing such legislation. Do you want to share with the audience your feelings?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, anytime Sacramento uh, tries to get into local zoning and local land use, uh, you're going to get a lot of resistance from the locally elected officials uh, because obviously they feel uh, that they have the pulse of their community better than someone in Sacramento. And that they would know what would be best for their community along the transportation corridor and how the home should be built and what the density should be. Um, so that's kind of where the conflict comes in on that bill, uh, is the, the locally elected officials would rather control the local land use. Um, but I think the bill was very well intended. It wanted to create units of housing along the transportation corridor, which is where we should be looking at developing more housing so that people... If we can eliminate uh, and or at least reduce uh, vehicular trips, Uh, so if the housing is built closer to where people want to be rather than a 30-minute or a 45-minute drive, maybe it's a five-minute drive or maybe it's a bicycle ride or maybe it's a a short stroll, um, then that that would be greatly appreciated if we can do that.
2: Well, you know, recently I attended the uh, Housing Leadership Conference, and I had an opportunity to uh, talk to Supervisor Don Horsley, um, who represents uh, the Redwood City area and the Fair Oaks areas, and they've been aggressively trying to work to make sure there's more affordable housing. Um, um, reiterating your point, um, Don said about 50 to 60 percent of the people that come into San Mateo County uh, in the morning hours or work hours do not live in San Mateo County. Um, so with looking at the bigger picture, I'm glad you're bringing it up about the transportation because you know there's there's some people that really just feel that if we build more housing we'll solve more problems. Um what do you think? I mean, I mean I think we need to build more housing. Um but we need to do it appropriately.
1: Oh, I would agree with that statement 100%. So and then we then we get into the nuances of the term appropriate, right? You know, is it single level? Is it two stories? Is it 12 stories? You know, at what point is it appropriate? And I I think um, to use Redwood City as an example, you know, putting the higher density in the uh, downtown corridor, I think, was a a stroke of brilliance. I mean, I think they did a great job there. They have a a train station, uh, they have all kinds of uh, transportation going down there uh, to help those people move around. Uh, But that being said, you know, the urbanization of certain cities, I know, like, say, if we were to take uh, a, a really nice small town like uh, like Belmont, I would I would say is a kind of mid-sized to small town on the mid-peninsula. You know, if they were to go, you know, 12 stories high, that might be a challenge for the community there to accept something like that. Now, there may be a case in point that could be made for a development like that, but that decision should be made at the local level. Uh, and... Uh,
2: Can we, yeah. can we kind of dissect a little bit for a moment? Because I'm passionate about housing. You're passionate about housing. How can we change the narrative a little bit? Because what we're seeing on the building, the building end of it, they're building high-end rentals. And what we're doing to so-called uh, offset this, the housing stock to meet our, our uh, quotas, what we're doing is, is we're, we're putting so much below market rent. How can we get back to the narrative, or is that just not a financial thing that the developers want to do?
1: Good question. So I think you, you hit on a good point there, and we are building an awful lot of rentals right now. I mean, most of the things that we're seeing being built are large apartment complexes, which there's a need for those, and those should be built. However, uh, we should be also looking at our balance of ownership housing. I I am a firm believer in providing you know, uh, affordable ownership housing. And so I think something should really be uh, looked at uh, to see what could be done. And there there are a lot of programs out there uh, to help people uh, get into a home to purchase uh, that would help make it more affordable for them than if they were to just go the normal route. Also, builders can build uh, properties or call it like stepping stones. I mean, you know, if you... Look throughout history, it was first-time home buyer. And I, I think now it has evolved into, instead of first-time home buyer, it's first-time condo buyer, right? And so then you, you buy your first place, it's a condo, then you go from the condo, maybe you go to a town home, then maybe you go to a home, and then maybe you keep one of those along the way as a rental for future uh, retirement income. And, and I think there's some benefits to that and showing that path to people. Uh, For some people, the down payment is the showstopper. That's the reason why they don't own a home today. And so I think bringing in things like HART, the Housing Endowment Regional Trust, uh, which allows uh, down payment assistance. There are other programs like that, FHA, uh, certain other programs that people can tap into to get that down payment assistance. And usually uh, they can make the monthly payment. It's the down payment that's keeping them from home ownership.
2: Well, that's a that's a great answer uh, too. you know one of the things in San Mateo County and Santa Clara County um, and I'm, I might be off by a percentage but 60% of your senior citizens own their own homes recently I interviewed a council person in Foster City which will remain anonymously um, and the council person uh, is like a lot of people that are in their senior years um, they don't want to move away because one there's no place to go they love their house they may be living in a four-bedroom or five-bedroom house, and in order, and they may still have a small mortgage on it. They're, they're going to rent rooms out so they move. So, is is there a creative solution? Um, I know in Foster City, we, we <clears throat> were there was a lot of people that I know, and whether they were Rotary or Fo- or or Lions, they were thinking about moving into that Lenar complex. And okay, boy, they are very nice units, aren't they? But yeah, we it, we some of us thought they were going to be six hundred thousand. And obviously, the price tag on that is one three to one four I guess so is there is there a solution to get, to getting uh, to getting people um, to getting people out of their houses, getting people out of their houses um, and making sure that they have a place to go because it doesn 't seem like that 's being addressed and, and when I say that that kind of like is telling us that what we don 't have is a balance of housing to give a reason for a senior citizen in the Bay Area because they don't want to pay the capital gains.
1: Exactly. Well, you hit hit on it right there at the end. The capital gains tax uh, is a real showstopper for certain sellers that are thinking of selling. And I've had that happen personally with uh, at least three clients last year where uh, we had signed the listing agreement. They knew where they wanted to go. And I suggested they talk to their CPA because when we were looking at the numbers, it looked like they would have a substantial capital gains tax. And uh, there were some capital gains tax rule changes in the mid-90s that really are playing out today. And that, that change was, there used to be something called the 1034 rollover. So it was the IRC, Internal Revenue Code Section 1034 rollover rule. That allowed someone to sell their single-family personal residence, and then they had up to two years to buy another one, and they would defer all or any capital gains. Uh, that rule was eliminated uh, for the for the homeowner, and what they replaced it with was a single individual uh, can exclude up to two hundred fifty thousand in capital gains. A married couple can exclude up to five hundred thousand in capital gains. Well, when it passed in uh, in the mid '90s, uh, that made sense. So, you know, single-family home, three-bedroom, two bath was about two hundred thousand at that time. So a five hundred thousand dollar gain would it would have to go up to seven hundred thousand for anybody to pay any gains. So it made sense. But they did not adjust the five hundred thousand exclusion for inflation, and so now we're seeing uh, homeowners literally two, three, and $400,000 tax bills should they sell. And so those three scenarios I was telling you about just a moment ago were were would-be sellers. After they talked to their CPA, they decided not to sell. Two of them uh, decided to rent it out instead. So they they still made their move, but they did not sell. And then uh, one of them uh, actually decided just to stay in place. And so I think that there are a lot of people... Uh, with significant capital gains uh, that are staying in place and or renting out versus selling. And what that does is it restraints uh, supply. And so I think that is one of the the main contributors to our lack of supply is we do have a lot of people with significant capital gains that are not selling. And so what's interesting is when you look at that, um, the government's not receiving the capital gains because they're not transacting or if they're renting they can rent for two years and do a 1031 exchange and that defers their capital gains so i really think it would be great if our elected officials would really look into the capital gains challenges that people are having and to see what the net effect is because i would wonder if they relieved that capital gains burden now you have a transaction when the transaction takes place, you're going to have an increase in property tax revenue. You've got the one-time county transfer tax of $1. ten per thousand. There's a lot of revenue generated by a real estate transaction for the government. And I would suggest that over time, uh, that increase in property tax would more than make up the capital gains tax uh, should should they? Uh, Robert, thank you that. for a
2: very insightful aspect or interpretation. As I have reached out to some of the politicians on the state level, I think we have a state tax too. Um, so maybe, maybe somehow, you're right. There's no reason why somebody in Hillsboro or Atherton, or even in the Mid Peninsula, to want to sell their houses, and, because as you know, we only have a $500,000 if you're married. Uh, deduction. So you you bring a very valid point and this goes back to my point about 60% of our senior citizens owning housing. So somehow we got to get a hold of some way to get the unleashedness of of these houses out there to go to those families and the taxation. You know I always use the example um, I I had some Google clients and the couples will make uh, $200,000 a year and if we do some math here um, when you make two hundred thousand a year, and if you don't have any taxation, about a hundred thousand dollars goes out the door to federal and state taxes. And I'm not a CPA here, but let's do the math. That means I've got a hundred thousand left. Sounds like a lot of money. Now, if I pay a rent of five thousand a month because I'm an upcoming Google or Apple or Salesforce, that's sixty thousand dollars. There goes sixty thousand. Now I'm down to forty thousand. I've got child care, I've got health care, and I got all those things. So even though we're, uh, we 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 have an economic divide, so to speak, so we have some people making some good money, um, and maybe the government is getting a lot of that tax money too. So somehow we gotta change that balance situation, um, so it makes it a little bit more equitable for people in the community, because some of the companies, Apple, Salesforce, and Google provide for their employees. Uh, it could be food, it could be child care and healthcare. So somehow we're going to have to unleash that tax problem. And again, we're not going to solve it on podcast by the bay, but I think we need to hear from our politicians out there. How, how can we have more disposable income and how can we get people into housing?
1: Right, exactly. And I, I think, you know, if I can put a plug out there for Habitat for Humanity and a few others, I think Habitat for Humanity is a, a great program because it does give that down payment assistance. It's an equity share for the for the uh, would-be homeowner, and it's a great way to get on the path to 100% home ownership. In that, um, they go ahead and they put a little sweat equity in. They move into the property, and then down the road, should they decide to sell it, uh, there would be some equity there for them, and that could be their down payment on their next place. So that is a great way to uh, to. Get on the path to home ownership,
2: Robert. We're going to have to talk about something that's a little controversial now, and, and you know it's controversial for us in our industry, and that's <laughs> rent control. We realized way back when when there was I think it, I could be wrong in the dates two thousand eight two thousand nine we had a deep recession, uh, people were losing their homes, uh, rents were skyrocketing, and if I recall, the state of California put a ninety day moratorium on rents. And this was, you know, we have to understand it wasn't just the housing crisis that we have. We also have other crises going on with fires in Sonoma, Petaluma, um, and all over the state, which have put a crunch on the availability of rental units. We know that rent control doesn't solve the problem. How, what, what, you know, we're seeing in, in the state pass some kind of rent control or cap on rents. And now we're seeing each city uh, putting some emergency rules because they're afraid the landlord somehow is just going to give them a notice and jack up their rent. What, what's happening, Robert?
1: Yeah, it, that's a great, great way to tee that one up. So that's uh, 1482 passed. It it's, was sold as rent caps, uh, which is fine. They, they, want to, they want to change the term, but it really is rent control. Um, They can call it whatever they want, but it is rent control. Unfortunately, rent control is a really poor policy. I mean, it's been proven time and time again uh, that it takes away uh, so many rights uh, from the landowner. And, uh, you know, just to dive back a little bit, I mean, this country was founded on the ability for people to own their own property and to have the freedom to charge rent and or live in it and or build what they'd like. And over time, we've seen the whittling away of those rights. Uh, And this is one more example of, of the rights being whittled away. And what's interesting to me is it's taking away rights from landlords. And when you think about it, landlords are actually part of the solution. They're actually providing rental housing. They are the people that are providing these rentals for people to live where they where they want to live, which might be near their work or what have you. And so now we're penalizing the landlords who are actually part of the solution uh, for providing the much needed rental housing. So I, it just seems so awkward to me uh, to attempt this policy in 2019 and implement it in 2020, when there's enough data out there to suggest it it just really doesn't work um and anywhere that you've seen rent controls let's take san francisco for an example Uh, san francisco uh, there are a lot of reports of a tremendous amount of vacancies where owners have just said okay i'm going to make the business decision and just leave the property vacant Uh, also If you look at the number of tenants that have been there for 20 and 30 years, um, they feel trapped in their rent control department. I mean, granted, they have very affordable rent. However, their job may have relocated to San Jose or to Fremont, but they feel like they can't move from the city of San Francisco to move closer to their job. So it would be interesting to study uh, what the what the uh, travel time is for the average tenant in a rent controlled area? My guess is they're probably traveling further to work, and in, I mean, if we want to make it an environmental issue, it'd be interesting to see what the environmental impacts would be on that if they're driving further to work. At any rate, I, it it also uh, with for the landlord it really puts a strain on them when they can see their water rates increase by 20-30%, the trash rates increase by 20 or 30%, and yet they're not able to really pass those on to the tenant in some cases. Now, sometimes the tenant pays for those things, and so obviously that'd be a straight pass-through, but there are situations where the landlord pays for those things, and so it, it really disadvantages those landlords. And the main thing about rent control as to why it doesn't work is it does not create a single unit of new housing. And really it goes back to supply and demand. We just need more housing. And if we can build it in the appropriate spot and have appropriate transportation, we can have uh, something that could really
2: work. Well, Robert you know I'm glad you uh, regressed a little bit about the rent control as we all know Berkeley was one of the first places to put rent control in place and now uh, Berkeley doesn't have any rent control I think one of the big problems we see with rent control is who's gonna run the agency I mean are we gonna be taxpayers being forced to pay for that, um, forced to pay for another bureaucracy. We all realize Section 8 is subsidized housing and we all encourage uh, Section 8 housing and that that list is some five years deep. Um, section 8 is a federal government subsidized program where 75 percent of the rent is paid by the federal government 25 percent is paid by section, section or by the tenant so to speak and that list is pretty deep but now we have a little bit bigger divide because somehow the school teachers and somehow Local workers that haven't been able to get into the home ownership are seeing their rents go up. Um, so I think Robert's Robert's answer is is correct. We need more supply and demand out there, and I think things were leveling off. The other thing we want to encourage people to do, we see those stories in the paper, and, and, and it breaks our heart to see somebody, uh, especially a senior citizen or somebody that that can't afford the rent. Um, I've got to to say that the peninsula has been very passionate to support these people, maybe subsidizing. Do you think um, that the city or county um, should look at more subsidizing some rents to keep people in place? Because the value of our real estate is only as good as the schools that we have.
1: Great question. So yes, i I big proponent for Section 8 housing. I think it's a great uh, program. And I think uh, the county could look at how they could um, mimic a program like that and or expand Section 8. Federal government could look at how they can expand something like Section 8, maybe create another section. <laughs> but, uh, you, know, it, you know, it's a serious, it's a real serious issue um, because we do have people who are working uh, that are barely making it. And so if there could be some sort of an assistance for them where the landlord's getting fair market rent, Uh, But then the people who are qualified for the assistance receive it. That's one of the other challenges with rent control is there there with rent control. There's no means testing. So what, what that would, what that looks like then is you could have a retired teacher who owns a rental property and they're asked to subsidize someone who's making more than them. So the tenant could be making 400,000 a year and the landlord is now subject to rent control in other words they're subsidizing that tenant and the landlord might only be making you know 75 to 100,000 a year so now you have someone making less than someone else and subsidizing you know the the other party so the no means testing is a real issue uh, with rent control and that's why with these other programs that are in existence and or could be created uh, if there could be housing assistance funds to help people stay in their rentals, uh, that would be another another good thing. But for me, I'm all about the, the uh, subsidized ownership. I think the best way to fix someone's uh, rent is a 30-year fixed mortgage. So if there's any way we can turn tenants into homeowners, they get a 30-year fixed loan. They know what their payments are going to be for the next 30 years. And if it means some sort of down payment assistance in order to get them in there, I think that's the best thing. Because then the tenant is now a homeowner and homeowners do what? They get appreciation of the property. They also build equity over time because they're paying the loan down. Part of their loan payment goes towards principal, which reduces the loan amount. And over time, they they build true wealth. And I, I, think, I really think that we need to broaden uh, our solutions in that category. How do we turn tenants into homeowners? What kind of assistance do they need to become homeowners? And then that goes back to one of your points where the builders would need to supply every different level of housing so that people would be able to afford uh, something uh, that's actually available.
2: Robert, on behalf of podcast by the Bay Bay City meeting. Bay City Communications. We want to thank you for your invaluable time. Please reach out to us at Podcast by the Bay. And if you have any questions of Robert or myself, please go to Podcast by the Bay, www.podcastatthebay. Thanks again, Robert. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. You can contact us by email at podcastbythebay@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com All material and content is property of Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. You can follow us on Twitter, at Podcast by the Bay as our handle, or on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Podcast by the Bay. And remember, you can listen to any of our episodes anytime on any podcast site. Until next time, stay tuned.